Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Monday morning, and you know something? Uh, it's going to be a busy week with Tiny Sester and Purim and everything, obviously. And so maybe I'll put a few words while my mind is still I'm already discombobulated with thinking about Purim. Because in the rabbi business, you got to do that. But let me uh, give a few thoughts into the Parsha this week, which we're all forgetting now because it's going to be after Purim. Today's podcast and this week's actually is being sponsored by the Radomskis in Israel. Uh, my uh, long time, uh, one of those who uh, sponsored repeatedly, very appreciative. And uh, I think they're telling me it's a Bar Mitzvah Parsha this week. Right? Oh boy. Looks like their son Oh, the son's getting Bar Mitzvah Mamish this this Shabbos. Okay? The Bar Mitzvah the Bobium seems to be pouring. <laughs> Mazel top to the family. But they're but they're, they're gonna read the Torah on Tetzabit. Oh great. Mazel tov. That's in Israel. Um obviously Pasha Tetzabit, which again we it's hard for us to focus on because we got porn coming up. It's hard for me to focus on. Uh, Parshat Tzavah is uh, rather one of the more obscure things because usually you get wrapped up in the Mishkan uh, people mostly focus I find on um, Truma the building of the Mishkan Tzavah is not about the Mishkan so much as it's about the priests okay choosing Aram the clothes of our vestments the uh, Yeratum that will wear the, uh, uh, and the place of his action which is the two altars the outside altar and the inside altar, right? Basically, in Mishkan, you have two altars. The outside one is where you do your animal sacrifices. The inside one, of course, is where you do the spices, the ketoras. These are distinct things. They're all delineated in Pashas Tetzavah. So the priesthood itself, the very fact that there is a priesthood is interesting because it means that the, Judy, the, 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 you know, the Mishkan is being set up in a way that's not open for everybody. You understand? It was designed uh, for a, a, a professional class, uh, the Aaron people, the Kohanim, as we call them. And, you know, it's hereditary. You can't be a coin unless you're a coin. All the jokes about that. Now, uh, I'll tell you what came to my mind as I turned on this uh, podcast. Um, suppose I gave you the assignment. How do you make a connection between Parshas Tetzava? And uh, and Purim and the Megillah, and the answer, if you're familiar at all with the Chazals, is that we have a big deal in this week's parsha about the big day Kohen Gadol, the vestments of the high priest. You know this, that, and the other, Mitznefes, and this whole the whole business. Well, according to Chazal, when Achashverosh threw his big party, the beginning of the story of the Megillah, he did them lechavod Sifaris. right? Well, let me rephrase that. In this week's parsha, in Tetzavah, God tells Moshe, I want you to make clothes for Aaron, special uniform, they should be splendid, which, by the way, is not a Puritan sensibility, right? 
why don't you say, I don't you look like, just like anybody else? And to be, uh, what's the right word? You know, dressed down, very modest, uh, you know, uh, middle class. And I don't you wear a three-piece suit and very big covered dick, just like anybody else. Nope. It's more like a Catholic thing. The iron should have a fancy uh, hat, a special belt, you know, hold the guns to business. So you see over there, it's a representative institution. He should be wearing clothes of splendor. Uh, okay, fine, let it be. Well, since that's the case, we're told that in the uh, uh, story of Achashverosh, and even of Belshazzar, uh, at one point, when Achashverosh is having his party, uh, he takes out the priestly vestments. Now, there are two different Chazals. There's one in the uh, Medrash, I remember, one in the Gemara. According to one, he himself put them on. According to the other one, he just displayed them. I think the Medrash says he displayed them. Now, why would he do that? Uh, well, it depends how you learn the story of the Miguel. You know, as I always say, is Achashverosh a villain or a dunce? If he's, it's not a dunce. So, no, he wasn't particularly anti-Semitic. But then you put aside all those Gemaras and whatever it says he wanted to bring the Jews in to make them betray, for to be machshil them in Arias or something like that. Uh, to be perfectly honest, it does not say in the Megillah that the Jews ever went to the party. In the famous passage in the Gemara, where she, the Hashem ben Yochai and his colloquy with the students, Mip Russia. There's a tradition that the Jews went to the party and that was something particularly bad. So let's go with that for a second. So if you go with the uh, version that Achashosh was a villain, do you say like this? He was one of the people who uh, was anti-Semitic and he displayed this by being one of the kings who maintained the stop order in the rebuilding of the temple, which means... The book of Ezra, it says that the Jews, of course, were in Gaul's Babel, but then Babylonia fell and the Persians took over, and Koresh, the Cyrus, the king, said the Jews can go back and rebuild the temple. X number of Jews went back on the first Aliyah. As Kates, Babel, through Babel, they commenced to work on rebuilding the temple, only the beginnings of it, and then since they won't let the local Arabs or Samaritans, whatever, join them. So the enemies of the Jews hired lobbyists and things like that. And the king changed his mind, Cyrus. And he said, I hereby declare a stop order and do not work on the temple at all. And that's what happened for 18 years. So in other words, during the reign of Cyrus, meaning from the time he issued the stop order until his death, and then after him, the next king, now here it's get very... Tricky historically, who are the kings of Persia? But let's not get into that. So you say the next king would be Darius or Yavish, and then Darius the first, and then you see Achashverosh. These are the kings who were anti-Semitic and maintained the stop order. So you lived in Jerusalem with a work site on the Harabias, where you could see work had commenced, but then stopped suddenly, and then. After Devachashverosh, the next king, which would be Darius the second, again I'm joining, I'm using the from system here. So um, under him, they gave permission to, re to 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 stop the stop order, resume the work, and finish building the temple, which they did, which they did. So uh, that being the case, Achashverosh 
would be somebody, and he's mentioned by name, Achashverosh, in the book of Ezra, would be a person who is notorious for participating in stopping the building on the temple. So if that's the case, uh, he was obviously, I won't use the word obsessed, but because that might be too strong, but the Chazal have the idea that he was obsessed. And he was uh, worried by the Jewish prophecies were told in Gemara that the Jews would have a geula or something like that. And when he was convinced himself that it wasn't true, he threw a party. It's a highly uh, ethnocentric way of reading the story, but that's what the Chazal do. And in that context, they suggest that at that banquet, which had as its purpose, among other things, a kind of sneering uh, triumphalism that the Jews are not going to get a base amigdash, and that their prophecies of future glory are false, so he takes out the priestly vestments that were in the treasure houses in Persia, left over from the time Nebuchadnezzar captured the temple. Okay? So in other words, the L'chobo L'sivaris, all the stuff that's mentioned, Parsha Tetzaveh, you know, the Tzitz, the Mitznefetz, the whole business, are now founded in the treasure houses of Achashverosh, and he takes them out and maybe even wears them. Now, why would he do that? Well, you could say they look splendid. It's hard for me to imagine they look so splendid, better than anything else in the Middle East. You know, but the Chazal have no trouble imagining that. How can you compare a Kaisha thing to the Kohen Gadol, right? Uh, and if not, it would be, especially if you go like the Medrash that says he, he displayed them, to be among his trophies. You get it? Here is the, uh, it's like if somebody conquered America, they said, well, here's the copy I took of the Declaration of Independence. Ha, ha, ha. You know, like that. Uh, if the Jews participate in such a banquet, which was one, therefore, that was kind of anti-Semitic, then they really engaged in self-abnegation. And uh, that would really be something disgusting. No, they would they would really be, sp excuse me, spinning on their own, you know, uh, tradition. And that's possibly a reason why you would say that they um, deserve to be destroyed. That's that Gemara in McGill. But you see, that a great deal is made in our Parsha, Tetzava, about the cover of the Sivaris, about the splendid nature of the priestly vestments. Uh, perhaps, it's just a thought, perhaps the particular Jewish vestments uh, combined to give a kind of angelic look. I'm not an expert in comparative ancient Middle East uh, uh, religions. I don't even know if we have anything left over archaeologically from Moab and Ammon and such places. But we do have, in Greek sources and elsewhere, the notion that people talk about the high priest of the Jews looking angelic. That's the basic of the basis of the famous story that we all know, that Alexander the Great encountered the high priest, Shimon Atzadik, whoever it was, and he said, oh, he looks like an angel. And he respected that. Uh, in other words, it's not an emphasis on showing off your gold and silver. It's more of an emphasis on the white linen, the white beard, uh, you know, the 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 look of sanctity. Shall we say it? Like the look of sanctity. At the same time, I want to tell you, it's all a matter of what your opinion is. Uh, I remember in Korach, uh, when he demagogued against Moshe and Aaron, especially he was angry at Aaron, he said, there's Moshe Kishtok Akal. He took his brother and dressed him up like Akal. Which means you could look at the whole dress of the high priest 
as something somewhat effeminate and looking a little bit like a Middle Eastern bride, like the Yemenite brides. I mean, I know it's not the same thing, but you get the idea. Kishto Kakal. He was makashet him like a, like a bride. That was, uh, what do you call it, uh, Korach or his wife, whoever it was, making fun of how the high priest looks. So it's interesting how you could spin it. You know what I'm But demagogy is exactly that. Whatever you say, it can be possibly spin. There were some Jewish fools who said, oh, if Israel develops, if a Jew is the one who does the vaccine for the COVID, everybody like the Jews. But I said already at that time, and now we're seeing it on the internet. No, they'll say, see, it's a Jewish plot, and they could have done it all the way through, and they held it back in order to kill others or something like that. To spin something in a negative way is the easiest thing in the world. Uh, and so, do we look at it, L'chabal Sifaris or Kishta Kakao? That's the two interesting ways you find the Jewish tradition <coughs> regarding these vestments of the high priest, of which so much attention is paid to in Parshas Tisavit. Now, there is a broader and grander way of looking at this, and that is whew, the following. Um, you know, if you consider well what I'm about to say, the uh, story of Moshe Aaron is actually interesting. Ordinarily, someone would think brothers get along. But in the real world, brothers usually don't get along, or very often. And certainly, in the Bible, brothers don't get along. Uh, true or not? You see? All the brothers in uh, Genesis, from Cain and Abel, down to uh, Itzig Shmon, and Yankov and Esau, and Yosef and the brothers, we're not presented too many pictures of fraternal harmony. And then we get to Shmos, you see this very interesting combo, Moshe and Aaron, right? And there are Chazals that say that, you know, Aaron, even though he was older, uh, was totally willing to play second fiddle to Moshe. Aaron When Moshe says he's tongue-tied, God, sorry, Aaron will handle it for you. And Aaron will see that you're chosen by me, God, and he won't get angry. That is why, I'll tell you again, you think brothers always get along. But, first of all, it's not true in life. And it's particularly not true in the Middle East where you have polygamy. You get it? Polygamy, you have more than one wife, then there's sets of siblings that, you know, set A is fighting set B. and so It's like built in. It has to be. And so, when you find a case of fraternal harmony, especially when an older one is mevater to the younger one, like you find in the story of Moshe and Aaron, uh, it's remarkable. Ad kedekach, that in Tehillim, David Amel says, And he's referring to Moshe Aaron. The next passage says, Gital Aaron, whatever it is, on his beard, you know. Meaning, they got along, and now they got along, they're a team. Get it? It's a team. Moshe handled one side, Aaron handled the other, and frankly, Miriam handled the other side also. You get the impression, Moshe can't carry the whole thing by himself. I'll give you just an example. Moshe can't go dashing to the men and then spend equal time dashing to the women. Had to have Miriam do that. So Arab is going to handle the cultic aspects of the ritual. Uh, why Aaron? The Jewish people could see what I just told you. Here's a pair to get along. And the older one doesn't mind playing second fiddle to the younger one. There are Mamash Chazal that say this. They see Aaron got the reward of wearing the and and all that business. 
It's the Urmbatumim, the Rishonim say, is intermediate between the Vu and regular. Uh, because he was a Mavater. You see? He's a Mavater. So in other words, let's put it this way. Throughout his career, until this point, until Parshas Tetzava, Aram had no trouble uh, conceding to Moshe the Kavod and the Tiferes. Aaron had no trouble saying, Moshe should be the leader, he should be the Manhig, he should be the one who's, who's final, has the final word, everybody should get up and follow him around. Remember when Yisro shows up, they all came to honor Moshe, uh, including Aaron, by the way. When Moshe goes up the mountain, Aaron doesn't say, I want to go too. And Aaron says, tell me how far to go, and that's it. No problem. So since he's always willing to concede to Moshe the covenant and the Teferis, so therefore in this week's Parsha, it says Aaron will get clothes, and Aaron will get covenant and Teferis. That's like a, a nice way of looking at it. And there is indeed a famous minish that I quote every year. It's the one I remember from um, Tzav all the time. And that is that uh, assuming that these parshas are out of order, and assuming that Teruma Tzitzava, Layakal Pekude, happened subsequent to the Golden Calf episode. So, in other words, not the way we read it that next week is Kisiza happened later, but rather the story of Kisiza precedes um, the story of Mishka, which is the opinion of many. So, according to that, the marriage says that when Moshe comes down after the Golden Calf, we all know Aaron made the Golden Calf. Um, he saw Aaron Makabakornis. Then Aaron was beating the drum, leading the uh, the dance. And Aaron was in a bad spot. He's trying to hold things back, as we all know. Moshe did not believe that. right? Moshe basically says, I know what I saw. And even though Aaron says, I was just trying to delay, Moshe says, you know, who am I going to believe, you or, my, you or, or, or the lying eyes? You know? And therefore, he had the Tino or something like that on him. And God, in order to convince Moshe that Moshe was wrong, said, um, or something like that. I forget the exact language. You can look it up yourself. It's not a long medish on this week's parsha. If you need a good word for a bar mitzvah. <laughs> the uh, Hashem said, I am God. I know what people are really thinking. Nobody else does, but I do. And when I tell you that Aaron was really trying to delay. It's not some baloney story he's putting up together to justify his actions. He really was like that. So now Aaron was a Shem Shemayim. Wasn't a great situation, but it was a Shem Shemayim. And to prove that, I will make Aaron Kohen Gadol, and I will make his children, the family of Kohanim Gadolim, and Kohanim in general, in perpetuity. Which means Moshe was shocked. Right? Because Moshe was convinced that Aaron had been guilty of making the golden calf. So that's a wonderful message because it says the Shalom was willing to move such an institution like Kahuna and make it in the Aaron family forever in order to maintain the harmony of the brothers, which obviously he regarded as essential for getting the Jews through the ordeal of 40 years in the desert. It's Basha from this. Moshe could not do it by himself. Right? Moshe is never presented in the Bible that somebody can handle a job by himself, which is interesting. I don't think most people think of it that way. Moshe is always presented as having a staff. Uh, the staff is his relatives. That's what Korok was complaining about. But nevertheless, it's a staff. 
It's Aaron, it's his children, it's, uh, you know, the Betzal, Gordon, and so forth and so on. The Sari Alavim, Sari Meos, the 70 elders. It's never Moshe himself. And the reason is the strain is too much. As we all know, later on in Bamidbar, Moshe will start to feel the strain so much, they'll say to God, kill me, I can't handle this anymore. And Hashem will say, we'll increase your staff. <laughs> I'll increase your funding, as they say in the government, and get you 70 helpers. That's the origin of the Sanhedrin. Correct? So you see that Aaron is presented in this week's Parsha, especially with all the goodies that he gets, the clothes, the privileges, the Urmbatumim, the uh, in- investiture, the, um, the granting Aaron the right to, to do the Carbonus, and especially assigning him, in my mind, at the end of the Parsha, to the task of doing the Ketoris every day which we regard as very important, right? The Torah is the ultimate symbol. You're not sacrificing anything. Torah is the ultimate symbol of trying to take all the spices, as everybody knows very well, including the bad ones, and mix them together in such a way. It comes out, Reich Nichoch Vashab, which means Aaron's the one, and his children, who will be the ones presiding over the ritual that reflects the unity of the Jewish people. Uh, the Chalban is part of it. And if you don't have the Chalban, it's no good. And indeed, there's a famous, you know, now we're learning uh, Megillah. One second. Excuse me. I just pulled out a Gemara Megillah. You know, now it's porn time. If you look in a very famous Gemara Megillah, in the third paragraph on page, Chavtalad, on base, the end, 24b, 25a, there's a famous Mishnah which says, theological Mishnah, theology Mishnah. Which says, Which is a fascinating statement. What? Which is a fascinating statement. Whoever says, by way of davening, this goes back to the ancient times when the sitter wasn't uh, concretized the way we have now. It's a fixed ritualistic formula. Um, there was still room for people to uh, create their own prayers, Hasidic style. And the problem with that is that you had different people reflecting different philosophical points of view. And um, uh, one, let, let me put it this way. It, today, in the year 2021, we talk to have this. It's fine, ironic. We have this. The Jewish world is broken into different pieces. You have Orthodox, conservative, Reform, Secular, and so on and so forth. And the Claw Yisrael Sen is kind of de-emphasized, sadly. But the Mishnah from 2,000 years ago says, uh, Any cousin who composes a prayer in which he says, Oh Lord, may you be blessed by the from. The tobin, the from should bless you. Which implies that the only people worthy of praying to God are those who are good. That is the derch of minus, which is a very interesting expression. Why minus, right? Why minus? And, um, I mean, there's a lot of ways to approach it. It could be a, an anti-Zoroastrian type part. I don't want to get into the archaeology of it. Just push it, Rashi. Why is it so bad to say, Oh Lord, may you be blessed by the Frum, by the Tovim, by the good people. Rashi says, Because you're not including the Rashaim in there. And they said, you know, everybody should praise you, the good and the bad. And we should devise ways 
in which the praises that go to God should be those of, of the whole seaboard, which would which was indeed reflected when you had a temple service when Aharon ran the show. You see, the mission is referring to post-Aharon. After the base of Mishra was destroyed, then Jews had, as we all know, Jews had to replace the ritual with uh, liturgy and things like that. It's not so simple, because the ritual in the temple, as we have started with this week's parsha, with the Keturahs, is one in which everybody's included. I'll read Rashi again. I don't want to interrupt it. Again, if you go like tuvim, it's like minus. Minus is a heresy. That's not the right word. But uh, non-correct Judaism. You don't include the non from the Mechal Shabbos, and so forth, as part of those who praise God. And Rashi says that the Chacham teach us from the fact you include the bad spice in the Ketoros, Umona Kosa Bain Salmonia Ketoros, the fact that one of the eleven in the Ketoros smells bad, Shamatsrichan Akosa Bahar Tsosam, Yusuf Gudas Achas, that the Torah, meaning in Parshat Tetzal, the Torah requires, Kisisa, whatever, the Torah requires Hart Tsosam, that the bad spices should be part of the Ketoros, Yusuf Baguda Achas, that should be one big Aguda. So the idea, therefore, is that um, you better have the whole tibur as part of the uh, ritual. And they were afraid, obviously. It's From a historical point of view, it's very interesting. They're afraid when they're com- composing the liturgy. Liturgy might say, you know, only the from Jews should, should praise you. Only from Jews count. Now I'm from the Tegav Kaparis. Which you can't help thinking when you live in a halachic context. But at the same time, you see, it's not right. Aram is the guy that can handle this. That's the interesting part. This is this task is handed to Aram with the emphasis at the end of this week's parsha on the two altars. First, he talks about the outer altar, Bezasher Tasam Masbeach, you know, Kvasim Beneshon, etc. But then after that, he says Vasisa Mizbeach Miktar Ketores, Mikta Ketores one, and um, and that is a special thing as we all know for Aaron. Um, he applies blood to it once a year. Usually you sprinkle uh, spices in a certain way. What is the ritual? You take the spices, the good and the bad, mix together in a certain way. The idea of mixing together, of course, is that of a culinary. You take, a, as we all know, uh, too much Tabasco sauce is no good. Just a pinch is good. You know, something like that. And so, uh, too much Rishayim is not good, but a little bit of Rishayim you talk and need, right? Which is interesting, because it sounds like the from, if they're left totally from, are insufferable. <laughs> you get, you know, over-righteous, self-righteous, self, uh, um, what's, the, what's the right word? Self-righteous, self-justifying. You need a little bit of a shame in there. Okay, keep things balanced. Not too much balanced, but but if it's not, then God doesn't like it. And only indeed, after you have all this sort of thing, do you see, you know, all right, then God will come and uh, dwell among you and so on and so forth. And indeed, uh, in this week's Parsha, this is the first, um, what's the right word? The first hinting of a Yom Kippur. Uh, the very end of the Parsha. Which is a little bit funny because, by the way, if you learn Bishlema, that the whole Parsha Tetzava comes after the uh, Paraduma, 
I'm not part of the, you know, the golden calf. They goes of. So fine. Makes sense. Um, the Jews had a terrible sin. By the time they finished atoning for that sin, it's Yom Kippur. And then that day of Yom Kippur um, gets enshrined afterwards as the permanent Yom Kippurim. However, and here's something if you need a good Torah for a Bar Mitzvah to sink his teeth in, but I'm sure all the Bar Mitzvah boys already have their Peshat already. However, if you learn that Truma Tetzaba go regular order, so um, took place prior to um, the Golden Calf episode, then what's the meaning over here at the end of the Parsha, where it says Aaron will will, will once a year, you know, be uh, mechaper and the Mizbah uh, Azov, as he does as part of the Yom Kippur ritual, there was no Yom Kippur yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? The Golden Calf episode hadn't happened. So it's, a, it's just very interesting. That's a different idea of Yom Kippur. It's not just a day commemorating when God forgives the Jews for the Golden Calf, because here's a reference to it prior to the Golden Calf. I hold that's just an interesting question. Anyway, um, so you see from all this that Parsha Tetzab is our own week. And God makes a big deal of brothers who get along. And what's clear is you can't have two brothers get along unless one is Mavatar to the other. Um, you know, if Aaron said, listen, we'll divide the work, even Stephen, and you get half and I get half, you know, like sometimes you see a husband and wife are like that, like two business partners. It's a deal, you know, it's an alliance. In order to have a good relationship, one has to be willing to have such a nature of an Arab. You know, so Moshe gets the credit. So Moshe gets number one. And no big, it's fine with me. You know, I don't, uh, what's the right word? I don't get my self-worth from the fact that I'm placed ahead of my brother. Even if he's placed ahead of me, it doesn't take away from my self-respect. You see? And I'm totally fine being secondary to him because that's what God wanted. Hashem didn't pick me, Hashem picked Moshe. Hashem knows what he's doing. I could say I'm older. I could say I'm more eloquent, because after all, when Moshe said he's tongue-tied, Hashem says, Aaron will be the novice. Aaron's not tongue-tied. Aaron is eloquent. Um, doesn't matter. If that's what Hashem wanted, obviously he sees qualities in Moshe that he does not see in me, and I'm okay with it. You understand? Not everybody has to be a chief. I'm totally willing to be an Indian. Because he's willing to be an Indian and not a chief, he gets the covenant he fires. It's interesting. And all the other goodies that go along with the position of being high priest. And I think that that's a lot of food for thought, especially when you compare it to the story of Ahasuerus, who was the antithesis of being Mavatar. And he wanted, let's put it this way, he committed the ultimate act of going the opposite of Kavadi Faris. That's the external Kavadi Faris. He wanted to display, by way of a trophy that he conquered Aaron, you know, was rubbing the nose of the Jews in it. Um, but of course, that's part of the porn story. By the time the story's over, willy-nilly, Ahasuerus is, if I can, if I can use the expression, the, the servant of the Jews, but not in a classy way, in an unclassy way. He's a Melch Haf Haf Khan. Aaron doesn't come across as Melch Haf Haf Khan, but rather a pretty a true blue all the way through. Uh, and indeed, it says Aaron Shaloshina. He didn't really change who he was, uh, and that's the sign of a person with a great deal of, you know, what's the right word? 
you know, uh, calm at the center, uh, self-confidence, in a good way. In a good way, not in a bad way. Anyway, I think in that regard, you can see a lot of interesting connections between the Parsha this week, Parsha Tetzava, and the holiday of Purim, which is going to be on Friday in Chutzlarts, and obviously in Yerushalayim, it's going to be one of these three-day businesses. And with that, we wish them a uh, Mazel Tov, uh, on the Bar Mitzvah, and uh, a good Shabbos, and a Freilich on Purim to all. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.